A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. If you got just a little bit of compliance in you, could you hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our first story of the day is by an anonymous poster. Only taking two boxes maximum? Sure thing. Back in 2020, me and my father were moving out of a house that was too big. Due to the loss of a family member and my sister moving out, we had no need for the amount of property nor the actual size of the house. At the time, we had way too much furniture and other various items. One of the ways we got rid of this was local thrift stores and Goodwill. I brought a bunch of items to the closest Goodwill, but due to local COVID-19 protocol, they were limited to the amount of items they could receive. When I got there, I was declined a short amount of items because of how many containers it was in. I called my dad fuming because I drove over 15 miles and they only took a small amount of things. Cue the malicious compliance. My father had the most evil laugh and pointed out the loophole. U-Haul sells some hefty sized boxes for a small price. I proceeded to go to the U-Haul dealer and purchase the two largest boxes a little shy of $3. After assembling these in the parking lot, I proceeded to stuff it up to the brim with all the junk I could. It looked awful and deformed, clearly overloaded with items. I went back to the Goodwill with two jumbo boxes barely being able to stay together. I was trying not to bust out laughing handing this over, but couldn't handle it after I rolled up my window and left. This is like one of the nicest malicious compliances ever. Like it's not even malicious, it's like generous compliance. If you were donating some stuff to charity and they had to turn you down because of rules like this, would you go out of your way to get a really big jumbo box so you could just donate all that stuff? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by Kaiser Sozefk. Neighbor goes to developer to enforce a rule to protect their view. It backfires. This story isn't me, but my girlfriend's parents. They were going to build a house and a new development in a lot that was in front of their 2B neighbors. The lot's on a hill, so it's in front of the neighbors, but below them. The neighbors decided they wanted to build a one-story rancher on the lower part of their lot, instead of building something like a two-story on the higher side of the lot. They assumed that whoever was going to build in front of them would only build a one-story themselves, which would keep their view unobstructed. Having a great view was apparently very important to them and a big selling point on the lot. My girlfriend's parents start to build their two-story house on their lot with tall peaked gables. When the neighbor realized their view will indeed be obstructed, they offer to buy the lot off of her parents. Her parents give them the price of the lot, which had increased in value since it was originally purchased, plus the cost of materials already purchased for the build. They waited for a response, but didn't get one, so they just continued on with their build. A month or two later, the neighbors respond to the offer, saying they'll accept it. By this time, of course, more time and money's been put into the build, so her parents told them they can still buy the lot, but the price has increased. The neighbors reject the offer. In this new development, all houses are required to have a two-foot overhang, but many of the homes haven't actually been following the rule, and the developers haven't been enforcing it. Her parents decided to also not follow the rule. 
The neighbors then go to the developer to remind them that her parents need to have a two-foot overhang, thinking that it would decrease the pitch of the roof, meaning the gables wouldn't be so high. The developers tell her parents to make sure they have the two-foot overhangs. Her parents go to an architect to find a way to keep the tall gables they wanted while also having the two-foot overhangs. The architect tells them to just raise the roof two feet to create the two-foot overhang so the angles of the roof won't be impacted at all. Her parents keep building with these new specs. The developers approach her parents to inquire about the overhangs and if the roof was impacted at all. The look on his face when her parents told him that they just raised the whole roof by two feet was priceless. The neighbors avoided her family the entire five years they lived there. So, needless to say, if you have the money and something is going to undeniably make your living situation something that's totally satisfying, don't wait around and allow somebody else to move in and build something up and jack up the price. Take advantage, get the property you want, and get your dream home. Our next story is by Careful Confidence 88 Revenge is a dish best served burnt. So I'm a pretty petty person and I'm a smart butt. I know I was a jerk, but I think it was justified. I was a chef at a very nice restaurant. One of the top things on our menu is A5 Olive Wagyu in non-geek terms, it's an $800 steak. I get an order for four of them at a table. I cook all four of them the way they should be, which is rare due to the nature of the steak. And I do that every time unless instructed otherwise. We use a special unit for cooking called a salamander. It cooks our steak at 900 degrees Fahrenheit, so we only put it in 30 seconds per side. One of my waiters comes to me in tears, saying that table wanted me, so I go out, put on my customer face and walk up to the table. Before I can even walk up and ask if there was a problem, some lady barks at me, it's raw. I apologize and ask if she would like me to cook it more. She says she wants it done for another 10 minutes. I try to explain that it would be incinerated, but she barks at me, you heard what I said, go do it. I was tired of this BS, so I just smile and say no problem. I take it back and I toss it back for 10 minutes. It honestly hurt to ruin such a good steak, but it's what she asked for. So when I take it out, it literally fell apart into ash. I personally brought her it with a huge smile on my face. She asks what the heck this is, that she didn't want this. I cut her off and say, I heard what you wanted, and I did it. I definitely think this is one of those situations where they're being a real Karen. They're saying, oh, I want this well done. Put it in there for 10 more minutes. And when you try to point out the obvious that 10 minutes is going to just eviscerate that steak, they're never wrong, so they'll argue on that point and double down, when in reality they hope that you just go and cook it to well done, regardless of what they said about timing. They're never wrong and they expect magically perfect treatment as if you can somehow read exactly what they want in their mind, cutting through all of that BS that they're spouting. This next story is by Strauss94. Union fights dirty, so the union fought back dirtier. This happened in Texas, a notorious anti-union area in the early 2000s. I worked in a chemical plant and an acquaintance of mine, we'll call him Bob, from an unspecified federal agency that was inspecting my plant, told me the story. There's elements of petty revenge, but since Bob followed the rules to the letter, I think this belongs here. Bob was giving his business card to a few of us, and I noticed his card had a union symbol on it. I asked if his cards were made in a union shop, and Bob replied, No, our office unionized last-ish year. I had a what-the-fox look on my face while Bob was chuckling. 
I convinced him to share his tale of how a white-collar, master's degree federal employee joined the union. In Bob's office, there was a supervisor, ineligible for the union, and six other… workers. All white-collar and degree-holding, three of the workers wanted to unionize, and four, Bob included, did not. For some reason, a three to four vote meant the office unionized, and Bob now worked as a non-union worker in a union shop. Bob and his three like-minded co-workers could care less about the union shenanigans because they thought nothing would ever come off the unionization. The three union members paid their dues, held meetings, and not much else happened until something actually did. The unspecified federal agency decided to adopt a flex-time policy that let each office decide how to set their hours. For example, standard 40-hour week, Monday through Friday, 4 to 10s or 4 days for 10 hours, 980s or Monday through Thursday for 9 hours a day, and 8 hours on Friday one week, and Monday through Thursday for 9 hours a day, and off on Friday the next week. The catch was, the employees had to vote, and all follow the majority, except when the majority doesn't get a vote. The supervisor pulled the workers, and 4 wanted 980s, and 3 wanted 410s. You can probably guess how the votes work between the non-union and union employees. The supervisor changed the work hours for the entire office to 410s, because the union negotiates for all employees even if they're not members of the union. Bob even asked the supervisor about why the majority was steamrolled by the minority and was told, nothing I can do because this is a union shop, join the union if you don't like it, and a light bulb came on. That's what he and his three co-workers did. They paid the dues, filled out the paperwork, and attended the next meeting. Bob and his compatriots had already worked out their plan for a legal coup. They waited until the union president called for new business and launched their attack. Bob motioned for a vote of no confidence against the current slate of officers. Just happened to be the three people in the office positions. The vote was 4-3 to three, and the current officers were out. Compatriot number one nominated Bob and two compatriots to the officer positions. And the vote was four to three in favor of the new officers. Bob was the new president. Bob asked for any more new business and found that compatriot number three wanted to change the work hours to 980s. Motion was second and the vote was, drum roll please, four to three in favor of the new work schedule. The supervisor changed the work schedule for the entire office to 980s the following Monday. It's now important to point out that the union bylaws required a quorum of 50% plus one of the membership to attend a meeting for the quorum. The previous number required was two of three members. And before I get blasted for internet math, two of three is based on 50% rounded down to a whole number and then add one. But the new required number for a quorum was four. Bob adjourned the meeting and for several years did not call a new meeting and he and his compatriots boycotted all union activities except paying their dues. By following the supervisor direction, Bob and his compatriots applied the union bylaws against itself and their three insensitive co-workers. I might be dumb, but aren't unions like a good thing? I'm kind of struggling to understand what Bob's motivation was to avoid the union. Paying their dues, whatever that means? Having to attend meetings? Aren't the whole point of unions to try and provide the best possible situations in general at their workplace for them? I mean, all things considered, it kind of literally worked the way it was supposed to be, where they joined the union and they got exactly what they wanted as far as work schedules go. 
And our final story of the day is by Era Merif. Your work hours are non-negotiable, even though I agreed. This happened a couple years ago, but I think of it often, so I thought I'd share. Backstory, I got hired to support an IT business development with ERP-related issues for all three shifts, but I can't be at the facility 24-7. Story, I decided to augment my workday schedule by 2-3 to three hours on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Wednesdays and Fridays, I had evening appointments that I couldn't miss. I spoke with my manager, who agreed and actually said, You're an adult, you don't need my permission. Awesome, so I started. Augmented days started between 9.30 and 11.30, depending on the production schedule for that day and on morning meetings, and ended later than the rest of the office personnel, according to the time started. All was going well for a solid five months, including preventing a catastrophic ERP failure that would have caused second shift to be unable to report finished goods produced and raw materials consumed which has historically created thousands of dollars of false scrap and hundreds of man hours fixing it suddenly one night around 2100 i get an email from my manager to his entire staff saying how he's been very disappointed that some people get to work so late how all office employees must start work no later than 8 30 no exceptions and so on knowing that him and i have talked about this and he gave me permission i don't act on it a couple weeks later the cio calls me on my way to work around 9 15 and tells me that my manager asked corporate to fix my compliance i explained to him everything that's happened including how the manager approved it he sighs and tells me to just comply with the order I tell them that second shift, who really begins heavy system usage at 1800, won't have support and lines could go down. He said, that's fine, make sure you email manager, CC me, CEO, head of board, and CFO, explain everything, and ask manager if he still wants you to comply, considering lines would likely go down. So I did. The manager replies all and says that he does indeed want me to comply. Malicious compliance, starting the next day. I arrive at work between 0800 and 825 and leave exactly at 1700. I don't take lunch, so automatically, I work nearly an hour over every day. About a week and a half rolls around and the lines stop. Second shift supervisor calls me around 1830 and I answer, as the only support, I'm on call until 2200. We speak and I understand that this problem can only be fixed with me being physically there. I live about 40 minutes from work and I'm not required to come off hours. I've made the trip before, but this was before this situation. I then tell supervisor that there's nothing I can do remotely and that I'll fix the issue first thing the following morning. I email everyone interested in the situation, second shift shuts down early and third shift is cancelled. The next day, I get there as usual around 8.15 and fix the issue and first shift can start production. The CIO calls me and asks me why my manager just filed a formal complaint against me, and I explain. Now keep in mind, my manager can't file a complaint against me since he's my manager. He has to have a sit down with me in HR, but he didn't. Anyway, the CIO and I end the call with him telling me I did the right thing. I thought he was going to fire me. About 30-ish minutes later, the CEO calls me and tells me that he spoke with the CIO and he would like me to start augmenting my schedule again. I reminded him that my manager prohibited it and he told me, I don't care what he said, I'm giving you permission and if he has a problem with it, he can call me. I thanked him and started augmenting again. Lines haven't been down overnight again because of this. 
Happiest ending? The manager was fired last year. I heard the other day that one of the major factors was the situation described above. I hate seeing people get fired, but I'm very glad he's not my manager anymore. My current manager is amazing. Needless to say, when you're faced with a situation like this, cover your butt. In this case, I think the CIO forced OP to cover their butt. But having that established documentation, that chain that goes to upper management, there's no way that OP could have possibly have taken the blame for this incompetent manager. Definitely keep that record chain there. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.